0: Hey, I'm Jesse, let's have a devotion. This is the most popular verse in the whole Bible. Do not tune this out. We have been through this before last year in our series, Behold the Harvest, but do not tune this out. It is so vital that you know Scripture backward and forward so that in the sacred conversation, what comes out your mouth is a vocabulary established by the Word of God, And then articulated by the Spirit of God moving through you. All last week in our sermon and our devotions, we talked about the sacred conversation as an outflowing of just keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. You know the final words of the Great Commission, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means that the Holy Spirit is the one who creates those opportunities for you. The Holy Spirit is the one who prompts you when to speak up and when you speak up, there are no greater words that could possibly come out of your mouth than the words of God Himself. So the way that we've done this since Behold the Harvest and now continuing that today through Sacred Conversations are John 3.16, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, John 14.6, and Romans 10.9. We will use these five verses both to articulate the gospel either collectively with all five verses or even just one at a time. Verses like today's John 3.16 can articulate the entire gospel in one single verse. And that's why it was so popular. That didn't just happen. That was motivated by the Spirit of God, particularly among the Southern Baptists uh, in the 80s and 90s who began to just buy billboards and put out commercials. and launch campaigns and train believers just to share that one verse, just one verse, just one verse, just one verse. There's incredible power in the sacred conversation. If you have your acoustic Bible as I call it to distinguish it from my electric Bible and you slide it across the bistro table, or if you encourage your friend to download a Bible app and look at it on their phones, the same words, whether it's digital or in print, don't be legalistic about this because when we started printing books, All right, when some some guy named Gutenberg invented a gizmo and started circulating Bibles in German, the very first Bible, uh, very first book ever printed, even then there were old school people who were like, yeah, but it's not the same as the scroll. All right, the scroll was the original format. All these books with their bindings and their paper and their covers and their spines. These kids these days, They don't know what a Bible looks like. All right, so (laughs) even since the Reformation, even since the advent of the printing press, people have been critiquing the format of the Bible, so it's okay, don't be legalistic about it, all right? I still use my acoustic Bible all the time, but wow, I also have the Bible in multiple translations and multiple languages in my pocket at all times, everywhere I go, even if I don't have uh, this Bible, even one of my smaller Bibles with me wherever I go. So there's power in your friend reading these words for his or herself, whether it's on a screen or it's in print. It doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit is the one who's moving here. It doesn't matter if it's ink on paper. Don't be legalistic about that. Or if it's pixels on a screen, don't be legalistic about that. The power is in the spirit of God. And there's something powerful about your friend reading these words for his or herself. This is a sacred conversation. And it could be the very first time they've ever actually read the Bible. So John 3.16 is popularized because it articulates the gospel in a single verse. When you share the gospel, you can use the scripture to articulate it. And then when you actually do cast the net, remember we are fishing for people, right? Jesus said to the disciples, I will make you fishers of men, meaning you've been fishing for fish. Now you're going to go to try to catch people. You're going to share the gospel with people. And then let me sort out who the fish are from everything else. So you cast the net, which means as you draw the net in, Right, my dad taught me how to cast net fish. you got to actually, at some point, once you've cast the net, you actually have to bring it in. You're going to use the same scripture to pray it out to God. When we pray scripture in accordance with its original intent and with its original context, we know that we're praying according to the will of God. And when we're praying according to the will of God, God answers that prayer this is not the sinner's prayer that was popularized when I was a kid. This is praying John 3:16, praying Romans 3:23, praying Romans 6:23, praying John 14:6, praying Romans 10:9. And there's something about a prayer that helps plant a flag in the ground. You know what's going to happen the moment you get up from the bistro table. The devil's going to go on the attack and try to sow seeds of doubt in this new Christian's mind. And if they know that they sat there at that table during that sacred conversation, and they prayed sacred words in accordance with their original intent out to God, then it helps protect their sense of security. They know that their testimony is built on Jesus, and they use Jesus's words to Jesus. There's something beautiful about that. So that if this person is truly saved, This will help protect them from attacks of doubt that are fruitless, that are from the enemy. Here's John three. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an undercover believer in Jesus as he also served in the same council of Pharisees that would incite the crucifixion. He met with Jesus at night, but like we saw at the end of the gospel of Matthew, he and Joseph of Arimathea are two Pharisees that would go rogue, and give Jesus a proper Jewish burial in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. So he stays undercover after this, but then he comes out. Am I, am I preaching to anybody? Can anybody relate to Nicodemus? Are you an undercover agent? Are you a secret Christian at your place of work? You can relate to Nicodemus. It's gonna be time to come out of the darkness and into the light. Don't be ashamed of your testimony for Jesus. John 3 verse 10, Jesus asked, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I had told you, if I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. Here, Jesus is talking about himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man Must be lifted up. All right, back in uh, Numbers 21, I believe, Jesus is referring to the bronze snake fashioned by Moses under order of God, where the people who were experiencing severe judgment and discipline from God for their forsaking him would look to the snake and be saved. People were being bitten by this plague of snakes and they were dying. But if they just looked to the bronze snake that was lifted up, this became the inspiration for the caduceus, and and it was mimicked by pagan mythology, all right, like Mercury or you know the symbol on your insurance card if you have Blue Cross Blue Shield, and a symbol that also appears on a lot of emergency room uh, entrances and and on hospitals and things like that. The symbology is rooted in what Jesus referred to in John three when giving the famous John three sixteen, in the same way that the people of God would look up and see the bronze snake and be saved from the consequences for their sin. We today would look to Jesus and be saved from the consequences for our sin. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, meaning lifted up on the cross so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. John three 15 doesn't get enough press because it also articulates the gospel succinctly, albeit in half of a sentence, but it does it in fewer words, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Notice the use of present tense. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and it accurately articulates the grammar of the original Greek. You have eternal life presently, now, right there at the bistro table during the sacred conversation, their eternal life begins. For God loved the world in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. Some translations render this, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. It's a rich text, right? John three sixteen is just one verse among many in this incredible teaching given by the Savior to an insecure Pharisee, who would later finally have the courage to break out of line, defy his peers, and testify that he believes in Jesus. So in it, we see the background in Numbers 21. We see the proclamation that everyone who believes in Him has eternal life. That's verse 15. Verse 16 describes the way God loved the world. For more on this, go back to our series on Behold the Harvest, and then even again in our series in John, go all the way back to the very beginning of the Redemption Church, uh, the beginning of JCM. Uh, When we looked at John chapter 3, we saw the original context for this, and we did a word study on that word, so. We get a lot of mileage out of it in English, but the way that it's intended in the original Greek, I believe to describe, this is the the mode, the medium, the means by which God expressed His love for the world, that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. The wording of John 3.16 also sets up what follows. By default, we are heading towards hell. By default, we are under condemnation. By default, see tomorrow's devotion in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By default, we're heading toward hell. We're already condemned because of our sin. So the following verse after John 3.16 also gives you an answer for a potential rebuttal to the gospel, especially here in the Seattle context. The idea that God would send people to hell. We also have a sermon on this on our YouTube channel. Look up uh, how would a good God or loving God send people to hell. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's John 3, 17. The very next verse, after the most popular verse in the entire Bible, answers this prominent question. Moreover, that theme continues all the way to the end of the chapter. In fact, verse 36 reads, "...the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him." Remains. As in, by default, you're already under the wrath of God when you sat down at the bistro table. There are two sinners at the table, but only one of them has eternal life. So this is a segue into tomorrow's devotion to talk about total depravity and how we have sinned. That means that we're not neutral. Like Jesus said in John three, we already are condemned. But anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Okay, whoever does not believe in him is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment light has come into the world, but men preferred darkness to light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to be exposed. They don't want to confess sin. See this past weekend sermon. Actually, your confession of your own sin and your description of God's grace towards you in the midst of it can be the means by which you bring up the sacred conversation, just like it was for the woman at the well. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's worth noting, by the way, that John 3.36, the final verse of this chapter that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him, is not written in red in my acoustic Bible. This is John writing to you and me under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving us insight whereby we can further understand what Jesus said directly as quoted to Nicodemus in John's gospel. John 3.16 can be the only verse that you share, only verse that you pray. Biblically, that is sufficient to proclaim salvation and eternal life. If someone genuinely, by the power of the Spirit, believes in this, that is sufficient. But there is more, and there is a reason there's more. We begin with John 3.16 because our whole gospel presentation and our prayer, biblical prayer at the end, is predicated upon the love. God has for this person at the table.